0: Welcome back to another episode of Peter's Proffer here in the courtroom of current events. And we're going to start this week's podcast by announcing our giveaway. So we're going to give away a $25 Amazon gift card and one of our firm t-shirts. Uh, and we're going to do a drawing. So in order to enter that drawing, first, you have to be a follower of our of all of our pages on Instagram, Facebook, Peter's Proffer, at tregos Law. Go follow and like all of our pages so, you, so your name can even be entered in. And then once you're on those pages, in order to enter to win the gift card and the t-shirt, you have to post a topic or a question that you want to hear on the podcast and then tag three friends that you think might be interested in the podcast. And everybody that posts a topic or a question and tags three friends, they're going to be entered into the drawing to win the $25 Amazon gift card and firm t-shirt. And this isn't the only one that we're going to be doing, but this is the first one. So enter in for your chance to win. So... Once we get all the names done that have done that, we'll give it a couple weeks. Um, We're actually about to start a little bit of a four-part series, I guess you can call it, um, because of uh, Ted Bundy and the Ted Bundy tapes and the Netflix movie with Zac Efron. Um, We're going to do some stuff on serial killers. Uh, So starting today, we have an FBI agent that was a special agent that dealt with serial killers for 20 years in Tampa, she's going to come on and talk about exactly how serial killer cases are different from other cases and what the FBI actually does to try to catch these serial killers that's different than just your average FBI investigation. So we're going to talk about that with her today, and in then in the future, the other three parts are going to be a criminal defense attorney that has uh, tried and handled serial killer cases, um, we're also going to do a breakdown of the Zac Efron movie on Netflix, what's real, what's fake, um, how it may be you know, glamorized for Netflix and what the issues are with making movies of uh, crimes like this. And then the third one, we're going to talk about televised criminal trials. So we'll talk about the Ted Bundy trial, which was the first big one that was really televised and how he tried to use that to his advantage. We'll also touch on OJ and some of the other cases that were televised live in the courtroom during the trial and how that may affect the case and how you do things differently as a lawyer. So it's going to be a fun little four part series here on serial killers for all the dark listeners out there. I'm sure we have plenty of them. Uh, it seems like serial killers are all the rage here. So we're going to jump into that topic. Thanks for listening in and uh, do what you can to get into the drawing for the gift card.
1: Uh, apparently, serial killers have been in vogue lately, uh, especially with what's going on with uh, the Netflix special on, uh, on Ted Bundy. But more interestingly enough, Florida happens to be the, the hot seat of serial killers, recently here in Florida. Obviously, we had the Ted Bundy case back in the, uh, the the early '80s, but there was a serial killer by the name of Bobby Joe Long who was executed yesterday for um, um, some murders. I believe it was ten women he murdered uh, in Tampa back in the uh, early 1980s. Again, I guess that was a hot time for serial killers. But with us today is somebody I think you all are going to enjoy. Uh, Barbara Madden is a 22-year veteran of the Federal Bureau of Investigations. She uh, ended her career as an FBI agent as a supervising agent here in Tampa. Interestingly enough, she still works as a private investigator in the area, and she has specific experience in the the topic of serial killers because back in the, uh, again, 1980s, she was involved on a case of a gentleman by the name of John Jobert who was uh, a serial killer that was convicted of killing I believe four uh, young boys and attempting to murder a child and a teacher uh, up in I think it was Nebraska right is that right Barb that's correct so thank you very much for joining us
2: sure thanks for having me
1: um, let me start with some definitions if that's all right what exactly defines serial killer
2: well the the common definition is someone who has killed at least three people and it's usually it's the it's a serial nature so it's one at a time as opposed to someone who's a mass murderer who will go into a nightclub say for example the one in orlando where uh, a lot of people are killed at once that's a mass murder, or go into a movie theater and like out in Colorado and kill a lot of people at once. A serial killer kills one person at a time, usually has a, a period of um, maybe months, sometimes even longer when they don't kill anyone and they seem to act normally and go about their normal business. And then like John Joubert told us when we interviewed him after his arrest, he was a Air Force man and he worked the night shift and he would get off in the morning And on the days that he picked up these young boys and killed them, he had just gotten an urge, an irresistible urge that he was not able to fight. And he would go out, and one day he picked up a boy who was walking to school, forced him into his car, and murdered him. Another time, uh, it was a a boy who was... Delivering newspapers early in the morning, so they have. They there seems to be a sexual component to not all, but many serial killers. Um, they usually have a certain victim that they prefer. Like if they're going to kill white women, they're pretty much going to usually stay with white women. They're not going to go into a different race. And I am speaking in rash generalizations there's always individual cases every case is different but usually they have a certain mo the type they if they're going to be strangling their victims that's what they stick with you know they they don't really have a lot of variety to what they choose to do sometimes they will take trophies home with them a lock of hair or a piece of jewelry um Sometimes they'll take pictures, and the reason for this is they want to have something at their home where they can uh, relive the crime, and sometimes that's also of a sexual nature. They, they um, are typically white males, but there are others, and there are even female serial
0: killers. So, Barb, it sounds like uh, the movie The Silence of the Lambs is a lot more, uh, a lot more truth than fiction.
2: Well, you know, um, Hollywood does a pretty good job of of coming up with with, uh, plots, so to speak, but um, I can assure you that it's laughable that any FBI academy would let a trainee out (laughs) in the field to work a case, never mind a serial killer case. So we always got a good laugh out of that. But they did film that at the FBI academy, and those were actual uh, settings
0: there. So, and just taking Silence of the Lambs a step further, um, I don't want to focus too much on it, but has has the FBI, in your experience, ever actually used criminals to try to catch criminals?
2: Oh, all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we get a lot of criticism for that. Law enforcement does. Uh, but the, the informants, a lot of times, have an element of you know, being in a criminal element themselves. And frankly, that's why they're very helpful and very useful, because they have information. I like to say that uh, you can't really expect to pluck somebody out of a Kleenex box and and think they're going to have information that will help you solve
0: some crimes. Yeah, exactly. And I know it's also big in, like, the counterfeiting world. They're some of the best. the, The best counterfeiters can spot other people's counterfeits, so I know that they're used a lot by law enforcement as well.
2: Right, and a lot of guys have gotten in trouble with uh, hacking on the Internet in the most recent decade. You know, they they are, you know, wizards at using the Internet. So a lot of times when they get in trouble, they become very useful to law enforcement uh, attacking other people.
0: So how does it work when, when the FBI actually builds a profile for serial killers? Is there one that they start with and most serial killers fit that profile? Or do they start building it when they investigate a specific murder or series of, of murders or crimes?
2: It's very individual, what you just said, the latter. Um, they will use what they call victimology, the criminal profilers at the FBI Academy. The first thing they look at is who is the victim? And that tells them a lot about their perpetrator, um, why did he choose them? Uh, What were they doing when they were chosen? Uh, Was it a crime of opportunity? Like, for example, uh, going back to the John Joubert case, he would get off work and he would drive around until he found a boy. Serial killers don't usually have any any personal, um, you know, bias against their victim. They don't even know them. So where was the person when when she became a victim, or, and who was she, and what was she doing, and how did she become a victim? So the, the victim itself, as well as the crime scene, builds starts building the whole profile, and uh, they, it goes from there. So the physical evidence, of course, is very important, uh, fingerprints, DNA, hair and fibers, If they use a ligator, if they use a a gun like we had in Seminole Heights in in uh, Tampa recently, you know, then of course they're going to look at all of that. What kind of weapon was used? What kind of ammunition was used? Uh, There'll be it's the devil is in the details, so they'll be very very detail oriented when they start. figuring out their profile.
1: Barb, when does the FBI actually get involved in a, in a serial killer case?
2: Well, they can get involved at any time. Um, typically the FBI gets involved when a case goes across state lines. But in many cases, like the John Joubert case, the, the police department was small. The community was terrorized. So they invited the FBI in right away. And, um, that can that can always happen. The they, the local law enforcement agency will ask the FBI for help. The FBI will determine if they can help them. Obviously, the FBI has the FBI lab where they can analyze evidence, usually much faster than local criminal laboratories. They have the criminal profilers. They have an international network of investigators. Also, the FBI goes into prisons and interviews every serial killer after they've been convicted, as long as they admit their crime. And that, the purpose of that is just to build intelligence on what makes these guys tick, why, why do they do what they do in hopes that someday, somehow, we can identify these people before they start committing their crimes and prevent other people from becoming victims.
0: So when, when you go into that interview after, I mean, I assume usually it's either after a conviction or after, you know, a plea when they admit what they did, how often do they also admit to other crimes that you didn't even know they committed?
2: Well, um, I can't tell you how often it is, but it does happen. Um, and, of course, every case has to be individually proven. Um, believe it or not, some people... Will confess to things that they didn't even do because they want the notoriety. You see, in the you know this 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 killer's execution was made the front page of the paper today. You know, so right. he um, people some people do that. So it's 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 not uncommon for the FBI and local law enforcement to get phone calls from uh, people who you know want to volunteer that they committed a crime. So what law enforcement does typically is they hold information back. Uh, for example, in the John Joubert case, we did not release information about what the boys were wearing when, when you know, the, what kind of underwear they had on, that kind of thing. So that if, if and when we did get a confession and the person, the killer knew what, what
0: those demons. So other people wouldn't call and confess and say, yeah, I knew they were wearing those underwear. I have a pair of those underwear here from one of the boys and try to act like or take credit, for lack of a better word, those murders.
2: Right. You don't want to publicize things like that.
0: Right. So when, when talking about the FBI coming in and helping either a local law enforcement agency or or picking up a case that's across state lines, what else does the FBI bring to the table besides kind of the resources of the crime lab and things like that? Do you guys use... Uh, any mental health experts, psychiatrists, psychologists when doing these profiles? I know the FBI also has, you know, special training. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Um, we have special agents, FBI special agents, who are medical doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists. They, we try to hire people from all walks of life. So we, ha- we actually have them trained as FBI agents, plus they have that background usually a full career, you know, before they even... we hire people, we, we have to hire them by their mid-30s, but a lot of people will have these backgrounds in psychology from the time they got out of school till their mid-30s. And we, we take advantage of that. We also have the ability to bring in agents from all over the country. If you have a case and you need manpower and you're in a very rural area, we'll bring in agents from the closest... Uh, major city, you know, just to add to the manpower, to conduct surveillances. Uh, if the crimes are happening in a certain geographic area, we'll uh, go out into that area with, you know, undercover cars and undercover agents and try to figure out, you know, if if we can interrupt this from happening again. I, I know that the local police department did that in Tampa when we had the serial killer's killings going on there in Seminole Heights. Um, there's the, the criminal profiling, uh, the evidence, being able to search the National Crime Database for fingerprints, NCIC, uh, analyze DNA a lot faster than a lot of locals can, the hair and the fibers, as I mentioned before. A lot of this is just a lot more manpower and a lot more expertise than uh, especially a small uh, law enforcement agency would be able to
1: garner. Right. So let me ask you, and I realize there's going to be a difference based on the flow of information from you know back in the 1980s till today. How do you identify suspects, or how do you determine, for example, that a case in uh, you know in Utah, to use Ted Bundy, may have been related to a case in Washington State? How, how does that all kind of come together?
2: That's a great question because that is. Probably the most difficult thing about serial killers is their victims are, for lack of a better word, random. It's not like, um, you know, Joe Blow killed his wife and they were having an argument or she was having an affair. And so obviously you have a immediate set of possible suspects. With serial killers, you have no idea if it's someone local, if it's someone that was passing through, if it's someone that came from another... Uh, state like Ted Bundy Um, and so uh, these are these are all kinds of things that you have to look at so the thing that you do is in addition to all the things we've already talked about you can um, nowadays you know cameras are everywhere so you canvas the area for anybody that might have captured some video some car some license plate some person uh, you canvass the neighborhood for witnesses. Sometimes people see things and they don't even know it had anything to do with the crime. So you 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 have search warrants and subpoena power. So you do all of that. Anything, if you get a uh, potential suspect, you execute a search warrant because you might find some of those trophies we were talking about. So it's just, um, it's a real, oh, and the Internet, of course. Now that we have the Internet, Perpetrators can go on the Internet trolling for victims and identify someone in a chat room or however and, uh, you know, meet up with that person and there would be very little evidence to link them to that person.
0: So and that kind of brings us to the next thing we want to talk about, which is some of the interrogation strategies that the FBI uses. Um, and a lot of the times I know they can have printouts from those chat rooms or from those chats that they have, and they can use that when they're actually interviewing or interrogating a, a potential defendant or, um, uh, you know, someone using a two way mirror where, you know, you have a mental health professional watching and seeing how they move or how they act or what their voice does when they answer. So what, what are some of the interrogation strategies that have been successful on some of these serial killer types?
2: Well, I've always found, and I think the FBI would um, promote this. It, you know, people talk about torturing um, potential suspects or waterboarding. You hear about, or, or beating a confession out of someone. Uh, all the years that I worked these cases, I always found that if you treated people professionally and and with respect, um, you and you you want to engender a two-way communication you don't want someone just to shut down and not even want to talk to you anymore so that is what i believe is more successful than you know trying to trying to beat something out of somebody plus any kind of confession like that might not even be a true confession and it certainly wouldn't hold up in court so um yeah you know just treating somebody professionally i've had people that have you know, gone off to prison and said I was the first law enforcement officer that treated them like a professional, and and uh, you know, even even a serial killer cares about that.
1: Well, let me ask you: when it comes to you know confessions, is it ever a, a have you ever experienced where the news breaks that there is a serial killer that somebody's targeting X, Y, and Z? Do you actually have? A, a situation where all of a sudden the phone lines just go crazy, and there's a bunch of people on the phone saying, "Hey, that was me. I did it. Uh, that, that's my crime." Do you have? Does that actually happen?
2: Not, not like a lot of people, but yes, you do get. Believe me, anyone in law enforcement will tell you there's a, a rash of crazies that phone in every day, and sometimes all the time to the point where you know them and you know that they've you know gone off their meds or whatever (laughs) but um it wouldn't be like a lot of people that would call you in like that but you would definitely get some people that would confess to something they didn't even do just because they wanted the attention
0: how does how does the the media affect an fbi investigation you know whether you're the person answering questions at a podium or whether you're just working on the case how I know how it happens with a lawyer and how it can affect our case and make our case different, but if it's a high-profile serial killer type of case, how does that affect an FBI investigation versus just a regular investigation that nobody even knows is happening?
2: Well, it can be good or it can be bad. We have had certainly both. Uh, for example, you probably wouldn't think of the Unabomber as a serial killer, but he was he he sent out bombs that killed people usually one person at a time it would be a bomb that was addressed to somebody's office or to their home and when they picked it up or opened it it blows them up so in that case this this the this serial killer was writing manifestos to and mailing them into newspapers or mailing them into law enforcement, and typically law enforcement wouldn't publish, publicize things like that. That'd be one of the things they would keep, you know, keep secret. Or they also didn't want to give him the notoriety, the benefit of, you know, his crime being able to be in the newspaper. In that case, though, the FBI agreed to publish a manifesto, and the newspaper did it and ted kaczynski's brother identified it as writing that he could tell was written by his brother it was so odd and so in that case it helped law enforcement amazingly we they after years of trying to identify the unit bomber All of a sudden, there was a a name and a probable cause that he might have done it, and a search warrant was executed on this rural cabin that he had in Montana. And uh, there he was, and there were more bomb-making materials than you can imagine, and other bombs ready to go. So in that case, the media helped so much. Other times, um, I think that by publicizing all these crimes, by publicizing... The executions. I almost wish the victims' names were there because they're they're the true person that is hurt here. And I wish the killer's name wasn't even mentioned. I wish he wouldn't even be remembered. How
0: how does it uh, how do you how does your world cross with the criminal litigation? You know whether it's your deposition being taken, um, you testifying at trial or in court at a hearing. How does that differ in a serial killer case versus, you know, some other white collar case that the FBI is investigating?
2: Well, I don't really know how to answer that. Cases, cases are cases. Investigations are investigations. You really, you really are trained to do the same type of work, no matter what kind of case it is. Uh, in the FBI, we we have jurisdiction over. Probably almost 400 federal violations to federal laws and then in a case like this the law is a state law it's murder so it is a little bit different but basically you're a jack-of-all-trades you you are, are trained to investigate any kind of crime that comes about so that on a moment's notice the FBI can grab a bunch of agents go to wherever the crime scene is that that needs the help and you don't have to worry about agents saying, well, I don't know. I've never worked this kind of case before. You know, they'd really train you to be to be able to work a serial killer case just as easily as any other kind of federal case you would work.
1: Okay. Let me ask you, Barb. We reali- I realize that we know about a lot of serial killer cases because they're pretty high profile. Are there a lot of serial killer type cases, even the ones that maybe we haven't heard about?
2: Well, there probably are, because, um, and, and then I'm sure there's people that study that. It it requires um, being able to put the evidence together, and, and it's true. Some of these serial killers move around the country. Others will kill one person, maybe a few months later kill somebody else, maybe a few months later get arrested for something totally unrelated and go into prison. And then the investigator's wondering, well, what happened? Did they, or, or they'll die. You know, what happened? Why did they, it, was this a serial killer or were these just two random unrelated cases that seemed similar? Um, you know, and why did it stop? So it, it's all about, you know, just paying attention to the details and trying to put pieces of a puzzle together.
0: All right, Barb, that's all we have today. I really appreciate you coming on. We learned a lot and enjoyed your company.
2: Okay, great. Thanks very
0: much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.